It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Twitter takeover. Good Friday afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. It is a seismic change for the social media giant. The world's richest man has done the deal, a $44 billion deal to acquire Twitter. Now the social media giant has entered the Elon Musk era. Elon Musk tweeted, quote, the bird is freed. Hours after the Associated Press reported he had taken control of Twitter. So what does Musk management mean for the $400 million? Twitter users. CNET's Ian Shure. The Twitter that they interact with will probably be very different a week from now from the Twitter we know today. One of Musk's first orders of business was to fire the executive who banned Donald Trump from the social media site, Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Big tech is the single greatest threat to free speech and to free and fair elections we have. Twitter was brazen about it, about silencing conservatives. Elon Musk, I'm glad he bought Twitter. And what he said is he wants it to be the town square of public democracy. While Musk's specific plans for the company remain unclear, he's already calling himself the chief twit. The husband of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi violently assaulted overnight at their home in the Pacific Heights neighborhood of San Francisco. It happened during the commission of a home invasion. 82-year-old Paul Pelosi had to be hospitalized. The speaker wasn't home at the time. Reporter Scott McFarland. Talent was taken into custody. No motivation or possible motivation for this attack has been released. That assailant had a hammer, we're told. Paul Pelosi suffered blunt force trauma to the head. With the midterms headed down the home stretch, reporter Bree Jackson says it's time for closing arguments on the campaign trail. Democrats crossing their fingers that high early voter turnout is a positive sign. Republicans pointing to things like high costs for groceries and gas, saying Democrats should pay the price on election day. Democrats and Republicans bringing in the heavy hitters to try and seal the deal for their candidates. In the waning days of the campaign, former President Barack Obama's in Georgia today trying to save a U.S. Senate seat. Media critic Joe Concha thinks it's too little too late. Welcome to the party, pal. I mean, you could have campaigned maybe a couple of days after Labor Day. To do this now after voting has begun, I, I don't know if Barack Obama at this point really resonates with voters because you connect Obama to Biden. And in all these states, these swing states, Joe Biden's polling in the 30s. President Biden was in Syracuse, New York yesterday, where he made false claims when it comes to gas prices. Take a listen. Today, the most common price of gas in America is $3.39, down from over $5 when I took office. Actually, when the president took office, gas was $2.39 a gallon. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen does not see signs of a recession, but many others say otherwise. The economy started treading water. We're not really backsliding, but we're not really accelerating either. Many believe this Christmas shopping season will be the final straw before American families hunker down on their spending. We're going to do one more big kind of holiday 
shopping season here. And then when we head into next year, everybody's going to just kind of lick their wounds. Despite yesterday's better than expected GDP report, half of all the economists in this country believe a recession is coming because of higher interest rates. With consumer spending slowing and even as disposable income has grown, savings are down. Americans contending with lingering decades high inflation. Correspondent Tom Costello, drought in the Midwest threatening a key commercial lifeline. Correspondent Ben Tracy has more from St. Louis. The mighty Mississippi might need a new nickname. Barge traffic up and down this crucial corridor is slowed or stranded. Economic costs are estimated to be in the billions. We are seeing operational challenges that are almost unprecedented. Paul Rohde represents the river shipping and towing industry. He says the Mississippi is plunging to record low levels just as farmers send their harvest downriver for export. 40% of the global food supply starts at the Mississippi River Basin. Who's going to feed the world if America can't get its agriculture products out? I'm Ben Tracy in St. Louis. Richmond, Virginia is removing the last remaining Confederate statue in the former capital of the Confederacy. The statue of Confederate General A.P. Hill sits in the middle of an intersection next to an elementary school. Hill was killed during the Civil War and his statue stands near where his burial site is. A judge ruling the city of Richmond can take that statue down and put it in a museum. Monday's Halloween and cops are telling parents be careful while trick or treating with the kids. The DEA issued a warning about rainbow fentanyl ahead of the holiday. It's a new deadly drug that looks like a sweet tart or a Skittle. Orlando pediatrician Dr. Natalie Tony says parents should be vigilant. There's not been any evidence that it's being directly targeted at children, although it is concerning because it looks like candy. Just in case, she says check their bags. Make sure nothing's been tampered with. Make sure everything's in a commercially wrapped packaging and that it looks safe to be consumed. Correspondent Monica Ricks, Game 1 of the World Series tonight in Houston. The Astros' Justin Verlander will face off against the Phillies' Aaron Nola. Houston in the Fall Classic for the fourth time in six years. Philadelphia is making its first World Series appearance in 13 years. A money milestone today in the reign of Britain's sovereign. The first British coins with a portrait of King Charles III are now being struck. The 50 pence pieces are due to go into circulation in December. The Royal Mint's Rebecca Morgan. The 50p has King Charles III's effigy on the front, and on the reverse it's a memorial design for Queen Elizabeth II. Coins with other values honoring King Charles are expected to be minted starting next year. Steve Dorsey, London. Still to come on the Noon Report, early voting starts tomorrow. Plans to expand Planned Parenthood and elections stress disorder. Yeah, that's a thing. Well, good afternoon to all. We're looking at a nice weekend around these parts with cool nights, milder days, and forecast hotels that are up in 10. All right, Kevin, can't wait for that. Thank you much. Early voting will begin tomorrow in New York State. Here's Family Life's Brandon Dixon. New York is launching an election protection hotline where you can report problems with early voting, which runs through Sunday, November 6th. Election day is Tuesday the 8th. Aside from races for governor, lieutenant governor, comptroller, and attorney general. There are congressional contests and state legislative races to consider. There's also a statewide referendum on the back of your ballot this year. If approved, it would give the state permission to borrow another $4 billion for climate change initiatives and water improvement projects. Brandon Dixon, 
Family Life News. Thank you, Brandon. President Biden and Vice President Harris are in Philadelphia today campaigning for Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman. New York lawmakers trying to ram through legislation that would require the COVID shot for kids to go to school. Requiring COVID-19 shots for students is up to the state legislature, which means its future could hinge on who wins the race for governor in less than two weeks. Now, it's terrible timing politically for Governor Hochul, who said during the recent debate with Republican challenger Lee Zeldin that she had no current plans to force the shot on kids. Zeldin committed to opposing the shot for anyone, including school children. The CDC recommends adding the jab to the list of childhood vaccinations, but that can only be done by state lawmakers, and the health department cannot regulate or change any of those rules. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. Thank you, Jeremy. Lee Zeldin said yesterday that New York taxpayers got a raw deal in that $1.5 billion stadium deal for the Bills. Zeldin blasting the $850 million in funding the taxpayers would be asked to fork over to pay for the sports arena in Buffalo. The idea that the state and the state's taxpayers absolutely must get totally crushed in a deal is absurd. Zeldin says if he was governor, taxpayers would have gotten a better deal. Computer chip maker Micron coming to central New York. It plans to create 9,000 jobs at a new semiconductor plant in the Syracuse suburbs. When they first start off, it's 3,000 jobs that they're going to create. So 3,000 jobs is just amazing. That's a whole factory that we've seen go away in the past. Patrick Penfield is a business professor at Syracuse University. So this is something that is going to be a game changer for Central New York. Micron also investing $10 million in the Syracuse school system to improve math and science learning. Plans are moving forward to open a new Planned Parenthood in Henrietta, New York. The town board green-lighted a special use permit this week after a judge told them they had to do it. Monroe County's second Planned Parenthood expected to be in business as soon as next spring. Several gang members behind bars today in Wilkes-Barre, PA. Cops say these guys had loaded guns not knives, and baseball bats. At the Wilkes-Barre Area High School, the local DA says this thing could have ended badly. We're able to divert an attack which could have seriously injured numerous individuals and possibly resulted in death. The weapons were found in one of the suspect's car, and another one of the suspects is a former student at Wilkes-Barre who was expelled last year for allegedly threatening to shoot a teacher. Many communities will be hosting trick-or-treating this weekend. Police want to make sure it's done safely. And that means for those who are dressing up in costumes... Be bright at night. So if you're going to have a costume on and it's a darker costume, get some reflective tape. Get that on the costume. Mark Gruba of AAA. Costumes that don't obstruct your vision so you can see where you're going. Make sure that they're not too long around the feet and the ankles so that you avoid tripping. And for motorists, Grupa says, pay extra attention to your surroundings. Children are excited on Halloween. They may not be thinking about safety first, but as a driver, you have to be. He recommends motorists drive with your lights on, even if it's not dark out. That helps keep the trick-or-treating as safe as possible. A Revolutionary War prison camp has been unearthed in York, Pennsylvania. It housed more than a thousand British soldiers for nearly two years way back in the early 1780s. How about that? Election stress disorder is a real thing, apparently, and experts say there are some things you can do to lessen the impact. Turn to the things that are the closest to your heart, you know, things that bring you peace and joy. 
and comfort. Dr. Rafat Omar at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center says to ease election anxiety, try meditation exercises. He adds, what's especially important after November 8th is to learn to live with the results, whatever they might be. Allow yourself time to step back and say, you know what, there is nothing else that I can do. And sitting there thinking about it over and over or becoming really upset about it does nothing but make you feel worse. Experts say more than half of all Americans experienced election stress disorder in the run-up to the 2020 vote, and it's just as bad this year. Let's pause next. Check out sports. This is the Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, the 118th edition of the Fall Classic gets underway tonight in Houston as the Astros host the Philadelphia Phillies in Game 1 of the World Series. It'll be Justin Verlander towing the rubber for Houston. Aaron Nola will start for the Phils. In the Thursday night football matchup, Lamar Jackson tossed two touchdown passes and Devin DuVernay also ran one in as Baltimore handed Tom Brady in Tampa Bay their third straight loss. 27-22, your final. On the ice, Josh Anderson scored with under four minutes to play, and Montreal defeated the Sabres in Buffalo 3-2. Sabres goalie Eric Comrie made a spectacular save that put him out of position, and the Canadiens managed to put the rebound in. Dylan Cousins and Jeff Skinner both scored for Buffalo. Four different Flyers scored in Philadelphia's 4-3 win over Florida. Elsewhere, Boston was a 5-1 winner over Detroit. The Wild doubled up Ottawa 4-2. It was Nashville 6, St. Louis 2, Edmonton edge Chicago 6-5. The Stars shut out Washington 2-zip. Vancouver by a goal over Seattle 5-4. The Jets beat the Kings 6-4. And it was San Jose, an overtime winner against the Maple Leafs 4-3. On the hardwood, Luka Doncic was not to be denied, recording a triple-double with 41 points, 11 rebounds, and 14 assists. The Mavericks marching into Brooklyn and taking down the Nets in overtime, 129-125. Kyrie Irving had 39. Kevin Durant finished with 37 in the loss. Oklahoma City beat the Clippers 118-110. Golden State down Miami 123-110. And Memphis knocked off Sacramento 125-110. So if you scored 110 points last night, you didn't win. That is a look at sports. All right. Thank you very much, Randy. And uh, just before we move on, some sad news to pass along from the sports world. Uh, football great Tom Brady and uh, his longtime wife, Giselle Bunchett announcing today that they are getting a divorce after 13 years of marriage. It is over. Between Brady and Giselle, the couple have two children. Terms of the divorce not disclosed. Still to come on the Noon Report for a Friday, we've got another wonderful weekend weather-wise. Kevin Williams in four minutes, and after that, the boys are back. The Capital Connection crew ready to sound off on the important issues. At the end of the broadcast, Family Life's Greg Gillespie will tell us why family dinner hour is worth protecting. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Every year around this time, the ritual begins anew. The weather cools off, the leaves change color, Christians start arguing about Halloween. Look, many people love this night. It gives them an excuse to host parties, to kick off the holiday spending season, and to provide economic stimulus for the dental industry. 
Others use it as an excuse to flirt with things much darker than plastic skeletons and creative jack-o'-lanterns. Too many adults use Halloween as an excuse to throw out common standards of modesty. Well, what is the real history behind Halloween? What's all the decoration and tradition about? Is there something spiritual behind all the ghoulishness? Back when I was a kid, there was a series of comic book style tracks that went around claiming that Halloween was a pagan holiday called Samhain when ancient druids used to carry out human sacrifices under a full moon. Well, that story, as even modern pagans who love Halloween admit, is mostly made up. The very name Halloween means Holy Evening. It was a throwback to when Catholic Christians prepare for the Feast of All Saints on November the 1st. In his book For the Glory of God, historian Rodney Stark argued that Christians in the early centuries of the church frequently reacted to pagan practices like fortune-telling, alchemy, or sorcery by not taking those things seriously. Augustine, for example, myth-busted astrology by pointing out how twins born under the same star sign were often very different in personality. St. Boniface taught that to believe in witches is unchristian. Pope Gregory the Great even advised a missionary to Britain to destroy the idols, but to repurpose the pagan temples for Christian worship. Well, a few years ago, Stephen Wedgworth offered a helpful perspective in an article at the Calvinist International. After providing a helpful overview of the history of Halloween, he concluded that though there are echoes of paganism and Christian repurposing in Halloween, the holiday of today, like the costumes and trick-or-treating, is a recent invention, kind of like the commercialized secular Christmas we all know today. Halloween has more to do with department stores than druids. Well, no matter what day it is, Paul's instructions in Philippians 4 should guide our celebrations. Christians should think on whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. Acts murderer get-ups and sexually provocative costumes probably fail that test. And we should consider his teaching on meat sacrifice to idols in 1 Corinthians 9. Idol worship is always wrong, but eating meat sacrificed to idols is a matter of conscience. And if you're unable to participate in Halloween with a clear conscience, there's plenty of other things to celebrate this time of year. Reformation Day, All Saints Day, the beauty of falls changing colors, as always, the sovereignty of God and the victory of Christ over everything. And if kids will be knocking at your door on Halloween night, you can always put on a wool tunic and nail 95 Reese's peanut butter cups to your door. If you and your kids do enjoy a little spooky stuff, just remember, as Paul Pastor wrote over at Christianity Today, that monsters should point us to God. No story worth listening to lacks a villain, and no villain worth fighting lacks monstrosity. No story has more monstrous villains or darker darkness than scripture. We do have an enemy, an enemy of our souls. And at the same time, scripture describes evil as not just out there, but also in our own hearts. And yet, evil does not have the final say, not in the world and not in our own hearts. Yes, evil is a real foe, but because of Jesus Christ, evil is a defeated foe. So, Christian, fear not. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. For more resources to live like a Christian in this cultural moment, go to colsoncenter.org. Thank you very much, John. It is the weekend. Kevin Williams has that forecast next. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. An area of high pressure will be the dominant weather force heading into the weekend. The result will be fair skies with chilly nights and mild days. Our next weather maker is a cold front. It will deliver some showers on Monday. And in its wake, though, not very chilly air. In fact, 
The first few days of November look to trend gradually warmer around here. The call for this afternoon is for partly sunny skies, crisp and cool, high in the 50s to near 60, becoming clear and chilly and frosty tonight, low temperatures, low 30s. Bright, sunny, beautiful tomorrow, the high right around 60, and partly sunny on Sunday, the high right around 60 degrees. All right, Kevin Williams at the Weather Center. It's Friday, folks, the 28th of October, and this is the Noon Report on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you, the listener, direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are, as always, Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute and Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Jason, I will start with you. Ten days to go till the midterms, and you have five questions that every Christian should ask themselves before they vote on November 8th. What are those questions, if you would, sir? Yeah, there's a number of questions. I mean, really, I think as a Christian, we're asking ourselves, what are our biblical responsibilities regarding our civic responsibilities uh, here in this world? You know, our citizenship is in heaven, but we obviously are taking part in this world as well. And a part of exercising the wise stewardship of our civic responsibilities is voting. So we're encouraging people to do that. Yep, and those questions are on your website if you care to see what they look like. We're going to mention that at the end of the broadcast. Michael, yesterday you hosted a seminar to help churches navigate this tumultuous election season. What are some of the common questions that you get asked by church leaders? Well, our church ambassador network and then our attorney team at the Independence Law Center combined to help pastors understand the questions that churches are asking. What are they allowed to do? What can be said from the pulpit about the elections? What sort of guidance can pastors provide to uh, members of their congregation about how to vote and uh, not necessarily who to vote for, but how they should uh, apply biblical principles to their voting, as well as just some of the mechanics of how voting takes place, uh, especially with early voting now allowed here in Pennsylvania. Some of those details were provided to the pastors as we encourage church members and pastors to honor God with their vote. And a lot of folks that wonder if, you know, voter guides are legal in church, all that stuff you cover. Uh, and again, uh, we'll give more information at the end. Well, guys, the dust uh, has settled now from Tuesday night's debates. If you're wondering, hey, what is there to watch on television? That was it. Uh, both uh, New York and Pennsylvania had rather interesting debates. And uh, Jason, I'll start with you and the governor race, always interested in the optics on these sorts of events. Who do you think won the one and only Hochul-Zeldin debate? You know, you talk about optics, and I think the best picture of that debate was actually a picture that's making the rounds on the internet before the debate even happened. Both Representative Lee Zeldin and Governor Hochul rode to the debate on the subway. However, they arrived separately. Uh, Lee Zeldin came with the voters, with members of the press, greeting them in the subway cars. The governor appears to have ridden up 
with only her security detail in an empty subway car. And that's the picture of where the state is at right now. Uh, Representative Zeldin seems to be speaking to the issues of crime and inflation and things that voters are concerned about, while the governor is traveling the state with her own private security detail. It's an issue that's been of concern to many voters, and I think it will be the leading issue in this election. Of course, it is the only debate uh, before the election. Is it too late in the game to have much of an impact on where those undecided voters are, or are there still a great number of undecided voters in New York? There are a pocket of undecided voters that are left. Uh, However, with the millions, the tens of millions of dollars that have been spent on this race, it may be difficult to turn the ship at this point. Over a year ago, Mr. Zeldin made crime a key component of his campaign, when many others were looking to other issues, Republicans and Democrats, but he charted a course on the crime issue, and voters seem to be responding to it. Yeah. Uh, The Oz Fetterman debate, of course, uh, the big headline from that on Tuesday night, Michael, was the health concerns of John Fetterman fumbling a lot on a lot of the questions, not just fumbling, but you know, flip-flopping on a number of issues like fracking, for instance. Many are wondering, was this debate a game changer? What do you think? I think in many respects it was. I mean, this was really the first opportunity that the voters have had to see John Fetterman as he is. Uh, he's been hidden throughout the uh, campaign process, very few campaign appearances ultimately, and taking no questions for the press for the most part. So this can be a game changer. Of course, early voting has taken place, and that's one of the reasons why I'm not terribly supportive of early voting, because there are these things that are found out about the candidates, even in the waning days before Election Day, that voters should be knowing about before they cast their ballot. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Uh, the eye-popping statistic from Pennsylvania, Michael, that over a half million Pennsylvanians have already voted. At this time in 2018, it was less than 60,000. So that yeah. tells you how much early voting is now a part of the process. Jason, I want to get your thoughts in the gun violence debate, of course, was another big talking point at Tuesday night's debate. The governor doubling down on gun-free zones in New York. There is a slew of litigation on that front. What is the latest in efforts to restore Second Amendment rights in New York? Recently, there was a decision, a temporary restraining order that came from Judge Sinatra. And as a result of that decision, churches are now bringing back many of their volunteer security teams. In that temporary restraining order, Acting Superintendent Negrelli of the state police can no longer enforce the provisions limiting firearms in houses of worship in churches. Now, that can come from sheriffs or local police departments. This is not over. But the greatest likelihood is that would be a state police enforcement, and that is now on hold. Yeah, we've heard from so many pastors on this. Jason, do you think the majority of church leaders in New York support what the Supreme Court ruled in restoring the right to carry firearms outside the home? Well, what's interesting is in that case out of Buffalo, there were two African-American pastors who cited racial attacks as one of their concerns as to why they choose to arm and protect their congregations. And I think that really resonated in the Buffalo area, considering what had happened there just a few months ago. Let's talk about the abortion debate. Uh, Dr. Oz, Michael, came under fire a little bit in that debate on Tuesday for his answer on abortion and saying not, he doesn't want the federal government involved in this. Uh, but there is a huge case right now before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court on abortion. Explain, if you would, what's going on there. Yeah, Planned Parenthood and a consortium of abortion clinics in Pennsylvania have filed a lawsuit for our state Supreme Court to mandate tax 
taxpayer funding of abortion and then to declare or really invent a right to abortion in our Constitution, which would risk all of our existing pro-life laws in Pennsylvania. It's a very important case. We don't know, though, when the Supreme Court will ultimately rule. Isn't it true? I mean, polls have shown even those who support abortion rights in this country do not endorse this allocation of taxpayer dollars for abortion. Is that still true? That is absolutely true. It uh, polls at around 70 percent of Pennsylvanians oppose taxpayer funding of abortion. But uh, again, the abortion industry thinks they can get what they want through the courts. Uh, We hope uh, that they're wrong. Jason, I want to get your thoughts on a story that kind of flew under the radar this week. President Biden did an interview with a transgendered TikTok activist on um, whether or not states should be allowed to ban transgender operations for minors. He suggested that they should not be allowed to do that. I'm sure you've got an opinion on that. Uh, What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's just uh, the latest example of really how far out of the mainstream the Biden administration is. Americans understand how dangerous it is to allow these kinds of puberty-blocking treatments and these surgeries on minors. I mean, if you think about it, a child cannot get a tattoo. Children cannot get an aspirin in a school, but somehow they can can make decisions to hinder their puberty or or go through a permanent life-altering surgery. This is just not where we should be as a society, and someday we're going to look back really with tears over this period and so-called medical history. Um, When we're talking parents' rights, Michael, Pennsylvania Senate Committee has advanced a Doug Mastriano-sponsored legislation that would restore parental rights in education. Critics of this effort say, why is this even necessary? I'll ask you that question. Why is this necessary? I think Senator Mastriano introduced this bill partly because of what he's been hearing on the campaign trail. Parents who uh, have been exposed to what their children are being exposed to in the classroom Uh, explicit uh, sex ed material and explicit books and libraries curriculum that is pushing them, for example, in the transgender uh, direction. And so those are the sorts of things that even we at Pennsylvania Family Institute hear from parents around the state, which is why legislation like this is necessary. It did move through a Senate committee, but unfortunately, if it ultimately comes to a full vote, Governor Wolf has vowed to veto it. All right. And again, uh, five questions every Christian needs to ask before they go into that voting booth November 8th. Um, Jason, you have those five questions on your website. If you would, sir, where can folks find out more? AlbanyUpdate.com And churches know your rights. Pastors know your rights when it comes to how to navigate this election season. Uh, Michael, there's information on your website as well. If you would, what is that? PAFamily.org Helping you be an informed voter. Capital Connection, the name of the program, comes your way every Friday during the noon report or online anytime at familylife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. An area of high pressure will be the dominant weather force heading into the weekend. The result will be fair skies with chilly nights and mild days. Our next weather maker is a cold front. It will deliver some showers on Monday and in its wake, though, not very chilly air. In fact, The first few days of November look to trend gradually warmer around here. The call for this afternoon is for partly sunny skies, crisp and cool, high in the 50s to near 60, becoming clear and chilly and frosty tonight, low temperatures, low 30s. 
Bright, sunny, beautiful tomorrow, but high right around 60. And partly sunny on Sunday, but high right around 60 degrees. All right, sounds like a wonderful weekend weather-wise. Thank you, Kevin. Finally at noon, why the family dinner hour is worth protecting. A just-released study says dining in can keep your stress in check. Family Life's Greg Gillespie. This won't surprise anyone who's already doing it, but researchers have confirmed that sharing meals regularly with your family has extensive health and relational benefits. Fully 91% of the adults surveyed said their family was less stressed when they share more meals together. 84% admitted that they wish they could share a meal with their loved ones more often. Well, over half of the people surveyed said they are more likely to make healthier food choices when eating with other people. Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. All right, Greg, thank you. Protect that family dinner hour, folks. It makes a difference. That's the world we live in Friday, the 28th of October. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.